Just before we came on air, we were just doing lots of really posh accents, so we may... Oh, if you don't think we've already got posh accents. Well, yeah, I mean, that is... It's all relative, (laughs) I suppose. It is relative. It is relative. But in comparison to some of the lovely guests who are coming up to take part in Friendship Festival, we're common as much. Well, yeah, that is true. It's it's all right to say that I think all about. Yeah, I guess so. I, I sorry, I looked a bit perturbed then. <laughs> so he did. It's oh, sorry. I um, I know I was going to do it, but I'm not going to do it. Go on. You can do it a little later, darling. <sighs> okay. okay. <laughs> so it's Sunday <laughs> night. Sunday night. Because on Friday, when Oliver broadcasts this live to the nation, I will be in London at the Tate Britain of all places, getting ready to install. An installation that I've been working on all summer, actually, called The Redistribution of Wealth, which has got a really serious title, but I like to go for serious titles. But it should be quite fun, and potentially be looking to do some dance moves. That sounds nice. Will you be dancing? Dancing while pontificating. Cajoling. Cajoling, is that a word? (laughs) No, it's not really. Cajoling. No, I won't be cajoling. I'll be dancing while pontificating about the history of Arts Council funding, because that's what the installation is about. But anyway, hopefully this will be broadcast to the nation with no hiccups. Uh, If it's not, then I apologise. Ellie's giving me a really frightening look across (laughs) the table. I'm going to try my very, very best to make sure that the radio show is broadcast uh, as advertised, but um, <laughs> I can't last doing it, unfortunately. I need um, to tell you. Yeah, if something goes wrong, something goes wrong. Ellie, please tell me what's the theme for today. Well, uh, we've just—I've just come out of. Uh, well, you can only describe it as a, 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 a temporary period of depression. Really, I haven't been feeling myself for the last couple of weeks. Anyway. I did actually um, make some quite drastic changes to my life. I know, I'm a bit worried about them, Ellie. As a result, um, and one of them (coughs) was to take temporary leave from Glasgow Roller Derby Mm -hmm. League for three months until the end of the year. And I did that because I didn't get to play (laughs) in the bout, which I'd been working towards playing at on Saturday because I hadn't developed the necessary skills in time and because mm-hmm. I'm going to be away so much over the next couple of weeks I just thought I should leave but then I realised that the only way I could actually deal with it because it had been such a big part of my life for such a long time since January I've been harping on about it haven't mm-hmm. I that I had to go completely cold turkey and almost I mean, it's only been three days, but completely removed myself from that community. Yeah. So it was realising that I'd kind of built up this community, which I was then almost deliberately removing myself from, Mm -hmm. 
surprising myself out of. Um, it made me think, where do I actually belong? Where is my community? I know we talked about this during the communities episode mm-hmm. earlier in the year. Um, but I was really stuck on this word belonging. Like Because it's not plural. Well, I wanted to do a show about belonging. But when you say belongings, it sounds more about objects. But we'll be talking more about objects than we do our lovely broadcast for all bits now in the year. Mm-hmm. But then, as I was ca- trying to come up with a noun, plural noun. Yeah. Have we been talking for about 11 minutes? Four. Okay. We're Sorry, it must have just seemed like 11. Whew. Was I that boring? <laughs> no, I just, I just got a bit worried that it was... Um, Maybe it's because we were speaking very slowly. Just four minutes. So the title of this show is Affiliations. Mm -hmm. And I've picked that because earlier in the year, I was asked to respond to this text about values. Mm -hmm. And affiliation, the singular, is described as one of the intrinsic values, which is essentially one of the things that we should all strive to have because they're the things that make us happier. And I still don't really know what that word means, but in my mind, I'm identifying it with belonging or feeling like you have some sort of community. So I'm wanting, really, to discuss this idea of affiliation mm. and hoping that you've done some research. I have done some research. I tell you, I've done all sorts of research. I also read the text that you were asked to respond to and I've made some responses to that as well. But I also did some general research from one of our favourite reputable internet resources, uh, which is available to all. We can all be part of that community or, or affiliated with, with that resource. Um now, what I really liked is, so yeah, th- the thing that I think about affiliations is, str- is strange is that for me, it seems very like official business-like way of putting things, mm. really, because according to David McClellan's, who invented the term enophil, with a hyphen between the N and a fill, as if mm. it's N-dubs. Oh my God. It's really just a shortened version for need for affiliation, but he's just jazzed it up a little bit. He says it describes the need to feel involved and to have a sense of belonging within a social group. But I'll tell you, right, so we were thinking about, or in this text it suggests affiliations is one of the intrinsic values. Yes. And the extrinsic values, I suppose we should explain, are things slightly more to do with the way other people judge us. So it's about like having a better car, buying a designer handbag, like image, status, power, things like that. And intrinsic are more like sense of belonging, sense of purpose. Uh, They're like things that you can validate internally, whereas mm-hmm. all of the intrinsic values are things that you need external validation for. Now, what I think is very problematic about Tim Kasser is the man who wrote the text. Uh, and what I think is very problematic is that he considers art as teaching us intrinsic values. And for me, this is like so paradigmatic of what happens when people who aren't involved in the arts um, make a generalisation about like things that art does. Okay, please speak. I was going to say, I don't think he's... He's just questioning whether art can help us 
prioritize our intrinsic values. I think he seems very pro it yeah. though, right? Like he's and the thing that he okay, but if you let me just finish the point, then you'll see why I've got why I find it problematic is that there's no the way he talks about art and the creative process is um as if it's this internally rewarding process like it teach and I agree that it does teach us certain things. But what he misses out is all the pressures that come with being an art, like come with being yeah. a professional artist, for example, like all, th- which is completely about extrinsic values. You know, you think well, about competition, is. selling, the very idea that you're making. I mean, I know that not every artist has to make an object to be an artist, but a lot of artists are involved in that situation, and so the very fact that you're externalizing something. I mean, it comes back to the certainty of insignificance and conversations we had earlier in the year. Like, how can you how can you be an artist without uh, acknowledging those ex- extrinsic values? Unless the kind of art you're making is like therapeutic art. I was very lucky earlier in the year to have a lot of texts sent to me by Oriana Fox mm. as part of her research project. Some of the texts that she's reading, and some of those are about criticizing this sort of literature of like self-help through art Mm. and um yeah i guess i just found like it's quite problematic um because also i think that being an artist ends up distancing you from other people yeah rather than giving you a sense of belonging well that's exactly what i want to talk about well i i i I think all of those issues that you've raised with the text i've tried to address in my response which is why it took me i thought it was going to take me a morning to write my response but it took me like two weeks to actually get my head around it but yeah there is a complete conflict between why people make art and whether it's because they want to be famous and they want to be rich or they want to be a successful artist or whether they want their self-actualization or their affiliation or any of those other things but talking about you remember in Artists Anonymous Mm -hmm. we talked a bit I mean, we're not really meant to. We should really mention, but it's just something that I said. Okay, okay, you you're allowed to mention that. If it's because you said that being an artist actually isolates you to a certain extent from a from a sense of community. I think it can. I'd like to expand on the point later, but you you say what you wanted to say. Well, we can talk about this more after our first song because the thing that I remember talking about and. After spending maybe four, three or four months in the Royal Derby community and obviously making quite a large project as a result of being involved in that mm. community, mm-hmm. the National Museum of Roller Derby. And the project itself became a, a wha- you know, it was about negotiating with these communities. But I remember saying, well, if, if you take on this role of artist, no matter what situation you go into, you're always slightly distant from it because you're always, even not intentionally, but you're always looking at everything, well, maybe a critical eye or maybe some sort of eye to it being useful in some way, as some sort of experience mm. that can feed into your work or be a learning experience that can feed into your work. And I think that that very way of behaving 
is isolating because it means that yeah. you're in every situation looking at it from the outside rather than really being experiencing yeah it. but you could be stricter with yourself you don't have to do that and you actually have to consider like what um whether just because you can bring everything in from your life into your work whether you actually should and whether actually that just ends up muddying your message as an artist muddying your project um but I had I had this conversation with someone at a party recently. Like, it was actually about it was in relation to the National Museum of Roller Derby, right? And we were just set, uh, and the re- it was in in relation to um, what this gentleman that I was talking to he said like, can you be a roller derby player and be an artist, mm. and never the twain shall meet? Do you know what I mean? Like. It's possible. Like, uh, well, we would, I was, like, I think that he was saying that it wasn't, but I'm saying everyone else, like, you can be a doctor and then play roller derby. Yeah, but... But then you don't have to become a specialist in roller derby injuries. But the thing about roller derby is it's not just a hobby. It's such a massive commitment. It's like training, well, three times a week and being involved in helping to run the league. It's like... It's not just something you can go along to once a week and forget about in between. It is when you're doing the initial training, when you're Mm. a newbie, which I did from like um, January to May. But then from May onwards is when suddenly everything gets taken up a level because you're in the league training. And it's like, do you know what? Maybe it, it came down to me trying to remove conflict from my life and saying, well, how can I make this work for me so that it's not, you know, a complete... But a life without conflict seems like no life at all. We've had this conversation before. Like, maybe you would have been better with the conflict. No, you don't understand. Like, the conflict that I'm trying to remove was I didn't want to give up and it was taking up so much of my time. And obviously I care about my work so much that that's my passion but yeah I had this new thing that was taking up all my time and it was just but people are passionate doctors and they don't have to become doctors of roller derby that's what I'm saying people are passionate about other jobs (laughs) and they can keep a distance you don't understand. I, you're not my I can't affiliate with you Oliver I'm gonna put a song on put a song on I can't affiliate with you. I'm going back to my bedroom. I'm not. I'm going to put a song on. I was thinking about a song. I was thinking about a time when I felt like I did have a community. And I thought back to when I was at school in the the 90s and I had my gang of girls that I hung around with. I'm not going to play any more hideous Britpop tunes. You don't have to worry. But this, the other time I felt I really had a gang was when I was at university the first time around in 319 Woodborough Road. And there were six of us lived in that flat. And we used to have decks in our kitchen. And we used to dance around to drum and bass a lot. And this is a song that my friend Peter Ainsworth, I don't know if you've met him. No, I've seen his work. Seen him on Facebook. Seen him on Facebook. <laughs> he used to dance around to this and get really, really, really sweaty and we used to dance in the kitchen and have a fun time. Okay, go. Super sharp, shooter, shooter.
Shooter, shooter, and actually, okay, the word crew is quite important here. Mm-hmm. And I was saying before that I had a gang when I was at school. I don't have a crew now, and that's the problem. Well, maybe it's not a problem. Let me impress you with my research, because actually maybe you have to stop lusting after that. Okay. I'm going to tell you some different things that I learned first, and then I'm going to tell you something that I considered and okay. that I've sort of made up, and it's so fresh that I might have to read it off the sheet. <sighs> okay, so th- the thing that I found out, really, and it's unsurprising, is that the incline towards uh, affiliation and the desire for affiliation occurs more regularly in stressful situations. So on Wikipedia, they talk about 9-11 and how mm-hmm. people began to reach out to each other regardless of like class or social status because everybody wanted to come together. Yeah. For me, this was very reminiscent of when Quentin Crisp says like that World War Two was a very happy time because um, people were nicer to each other because morality shifted a little bit during yeah. that time. Uh, I was also thinking about Dan Gilbert, who's uh, one of the happiness researchers from Harvard. I'm sure he's cropped up on this show before. He talks about when people make friends during holidays. When, you know, you make friends ah. with some... Uh, when, you know, when t- my parents used to do it all the time. You make friends with another family. But then you, when you get back home, you might discover that actually you don't really have anything in common at all. But for that time, because of the shift, yeah, you felt like you'd come together. Now, this is slightly off point, but I thought it was potentially quite interesting. Because I know before the break, we were talking about how art can be quite distancing. Mm-hmm. And how that can be a problem. Distancing for the artists themselves. Yeah, distancing between the artist and other people. Sometimes you can feel a bit cut off. Uh-huh. And that's why you begin to feel like, you know, we talk about it before... Um, that's why you have to make a radio show so that you can reach out to people well yes from the comfort of your own home but what I was wondering was rather than saying that art is to blame for cutting us off and therefore like making us like we're so desperate for affiliation what I was wondering is perhaps slightly differently I'm going to read this and so some of it might not make sense but I said like perhaps it's actually that art is found to be so singularly enjoyable 
that you end up like feeling that you don't actually require affiliation with anyone. But then this lack of need for affiliation is sort of what becomes the problem. Psychologically, you sort of feel so guilty that you don't feel that need that that guilt then makes you return to feeling as if you need affiliation. Oh my God. That is just... Did you? Is this your new theory? Yeah, I just came up with it this morning. I think it really relates to the experience that I had this weekend. And really, the experience... Like, because this weekend was the roller derby bout, as I, ma- as I mentioned, and I had to go to my studio and work instead to get stuff finished for Friday for the date. And my friend rang me up, and she was obviously really upset that I'd gone AWOL and that I wasn't going to be at the bout. And she said, I just want to make sure you're okay. I just want to make sure you're okay. And I and I said to her, I'm fine. I'm, I lo- I'm in my studio. I love working. And it was when I s- said that, that I realized that that might be a distancing point from these peop- other people mm. because their relationship to work, no matter what they do, probably isn't quite the same yeah. as our relationship to work because... I've had the I've had a I've had a really lovely weekend. Both weekends have both nights I've been in bed by half ten. I've been up at seven and off to my studio and worked all day and had a nice evening. And but I feel like there's nowhere else I'd rather have been. I know, I mean that is probably I mean I feel exactly the same and but then it's like life pressures that begin to make you feel like, oh God, but if I don't get out of the studio then there are other duties that potentially I'm neglecting. But look at Henry Darger. He was happy, wasn't he? He just came home every night. I'm one of your favourites. A little bit of drawing. Although Kant, oh, yeah, Kant. He did have a lot of dinner parties and soirees where Apparently they played he was the piano. very jovial, which I think is quite weird. But he never left Duisburg. It's not called Duisburg. No, that's from <laughs> League of Gentlemen. <laughs> I can't think what it's called. Is it, is it Brandenburg? No, Brandenburg. Konigsberg. Yeah, Konigsberg. Kant from Konigsberg, I think. But I, d- I tell you, one of the one of the pe- one of the artists that I was thinking about today as well, and these come from the Oriana Fox text as well. She sent me a lot of texts by Linda Montano. Mm-hmm. Have we talked about Linda Montano before? No. She's a performance artist. She did the collaboration with Touching Hash. The performance that I'm going to talk about I right like now, it. because you know she spent a year tied to him. Touching Hash. She's perfect for affiliations. She I was know. very closely connected to him. But it was actually after doing that performance that she came to the conclusion that art wasn't enough. And that's when she became an art life therapist. Ah. Like, so she's, I mean, she's making art, but it's in a very different way. Like it's much more to do with people. It's a lot more of a crossover. But yeah, it was actually spending that much time with another human being that sort of, mm, it, it's not concurrent with what I was proposing or what the, the, the kind of idea that I was advancing previously. But I just thought it was an interesting perspective that spending that amount of time with another artist. Because oh. what, um, what was their relationship before they started that performance? I'm not sure. For those of you who are not, not aware of sure. this performance, you should check it out. Because basically, Teching Hash is so extreme, a bit of a icon for me. <laughs> <laughs> he does a lot of year-long performances, but he he tied himself by wrote this ten foot long, was it? To Linda yeah. Montano, and I've always wondered whatever happened to Linda Montano. Linda Montano is doing some very very interesting things. She became a very she became a Catholic again. Okay. Uh, and she, because she was doing tarot readings before that, she now runs this project, and it was called Seven Years of Art and Life. 
And then she did seven years of Art and Life plus seven years of Art and Life. And so that went on for 14 years. And <laughs> now she's doing seven plus seven plus seven years of Art and Life. So it's a 21-year project. But I think um, Teijing Hesh is involved in that. But it reminds well, me... Well, he did 13-year oh. plan. He, he finished in 98. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing now. These crazy artists. But actually, Teijing Hesh, you know, the 13-year plan, he made art and didn't show any of it. Which oh is yeah. quite interesting. Well, they were really closely linked to another one of my faves, who's Lee Lozano. That's who I was trying to think of, because I thought it was Linda Montano. No, but Lee Lozano is amazing, because one of her greatest... Well, apparently, she I, don't, I think she's dead now, actually. But in the 60s, she became like really successful in the New York art world. And then she just stopped making art and instead of making art she started to have conversations <laughs> with people like really really mm. early like relational aesthetics where she'd invite people to a flat I think for her apartment sorry for dinner parties and she wouldn't record those conversations in any way that's so cool which was quite nice in terms of what we're talking about in the liberations broadcast but um, then that wasn't enough. So her next project was to leave the art world, completely abdicate from the art world. And then finally, her final magnum opus was to never speak to a woman again. <laughs> Have you heard this? Yeah, before? you've told me it before. It's so cool. But it's completely mental. And it's I don't quite know how you. Cutting edge. Like. Um Pretty outrageous. I mean, my favourite bit is obviously the non-documentation uh, non element of it. She was really ahead of her time. I know. She's a hero. Shout out to that lady. Lilazano. So, how do we... Well, we're affiliated. We're affiliated, yes. I've got some other affiliations. I'm affiliated oh. with my studio. Well, you're affiliated with your studio. As in, I'm talking about it as an organisation, not just the the one solitary room. But maybe it's like, maybe what's really good is to uh, not feel so guilty about it after what I propose. Maybe we should be happy that we've got something that lots of people don't have. Yeah, I, it, you know when you were saying about the World Trade Centre? Yes. And it made me think of something. You're not so going to say something controversial. Because I was thinking just quickly about that, you know the 9-11 hoaxer? That woman that just pretended that she'd had someone die just so she could be friends with everybody else who'd no. been friends with victims? Well, I wasn't going to mention anything as controversial as that. It might be kind of controversial that the 9-11 thing made me think about it. But the, the time that I really feel alone, mm -hmm. the times when I really, really feel alone, is when, and I don't know whether you can relate this to a stressful situation, like it's a situation like I've got to carry a lot of bags, up two flights of stairs <laughs> to the flat. Or, for example, I've got to carry a computer, ridiculously enormous old-fashioned computer, to London on the train. Or, like, I need to... And I'm just like, ah, one pair of hands isn't enough. Why don't I have... Where's my gang? Where's my crew? Where's my peeps to help me? No, but me? the problem is, your crew's not just there solely to be your... Slaves. Um, slaves, and that's the difference. But that's it? when but I notice it. I never notice it any I other know, time. No, but that's stressful, isn't it? Because it means that your actual relationship to humans is more akin to objects. But what I would say, if it makes you feel any better, is when you're going to London and you're carrying that huge computer, you'll now be carrying it on a trolley that I went to Maplin's and oh, got for so you today. Sweet. So what you could do is at least think, well, I'm carrying this trolley, but at least a friend 
did enable me to own that trolley. So at least you can be, feel kind of positive about that. Um, so we're we playing out now on affiliations. Are yeah. we rounding up? I do feel very positive about our relationship because Good. I think you're very kind to me. Good. And we I have a nice relationship. want to show some appreciation, Aww. some props. Hey. What's the other thing that snaps. you said? What the fuck is snaps? I love snaps. Give some snaps and introduce <laughs> the last song. Oh. Okay, so, um, yeah, I was kind of hoping to move the conversation a little bit more towards objects in relation to affiliations, objects and humans. And Well, I did mention belongings. Yeah, so. I was thinking about the kind of... I, I hear a lot of people talking about that. Like, sometimes they just forget that people are subjects and think about them as objects. Mm. Um, and so this is a song... I'm not really going to... I mean, I, if we'd have had a different conversation, I would have angled it in a bit more easily, but instead it's going to be a bit clunky, but... What are you going to do? Eh? This is called Household Goods mm-hmm. and it's by a gentleman who goes under the name of Totally Enormous Extinct Dinosaurs. And okay. if you think that's a mouthful, his real name is Orlando Higginbottom. Um, and we can dance to it? Good luck, Ellie, with your performance, your presentation, your installation at the Tate this evening. If anyone lives in London... They should pop along to Tate Britain. See my pal, Eleanor Harrison. Please do. Um, okay. Bye, Eleanor. Bye.
all that it took was one call from his phone.